0: Hello everyone. Thanks again for listening to the show and listening today. Today we'll be talking about an issue that may be on a lot of your minds right now. What does the post-pandemic era look like and really what does normal mean anymore? We'll be exploring the economic, social, and political issues the post-pandemic era will bring and our hopes for the future. Our hearts go out to the families who have had loved ones taken by coronavirus and families who are suffering directly or indirectly from the impacts of coronavirus. It has truly been a difficult year. Anyway, we hope you enjoy, and again, thank you for listening. All righty, all right, all right, all right. No, it is not Matthew McConaughey. It is Levon here uh, with my comrade in arms my uh good friend (laughs) it's cringing at my introduction here (laughs) especially after our marxist conversation well that's comrade it's the inspiration behind the introductions (laughs) say hello sean hello hello today's episode will be around coronavirus (laughs) to say the least um but it'll be based around what does society look like after um, the pandemic, what does it look like? Um, and really the, the current events around, surrounding that right now um, because right now we are seeing a decline in cases. We're um, seeing more people get vaccinated, but then we're seeing these new variants uh, emerging. It's, it is that whole race against time um, vaccines versus variants: <laughs> this battle taking place, and it's not just the United States; it's it's the rest of the world, right? We're a global community, so um, so if there's a, still a lot of cases and room for new variants to p- pop up, then it, that affects everything, um, yeah. not just not just uh, in the United States, but that could happen as we saw with South Africa, or there could be a strain that comes out of um, Australia, wherever, any part of the world, right? Um, it, okay, so we'll get to that later. Uh, right now, we'll kind of break down <laughs> words of wisdom by our really dude, really guy of the week, Kevin Kevin Mather, uh, the president of the Seattle Mariners. I know this is a sports story. I feel like this is our probably a first, first sports story. And it's not like you know, like, oh, somebody, you know, scored a goal. Although I mean, we we talked about Tom Brady being the goat. Oh, that that's, was true. A sports that's story. true. Yeah. That, that was a sports story. But also the sports story tonight with Megan Rapino. Jeez, killing it. The USA wins She Believes Cup. Anyway, um so it was was last Sunday. He was at a rotary club rotary meeting club. in Seattle. Yeah. Damn, yeah. The Rotary Club um and he's on this zoom call with these members and first off it's like okay he's talking about these in ins- this very inside um uh, transactions inside the uh, agency inside of baseball even talking about who he's uh <laughs> who he fancies on trading with these rotary club members it's like first off it's like okay that's a little weird i mean if i was showing up to a rotary club meeting like i would not expect that i would not expect him saying this is kyle Seeger's last year like him <laughs> like yeah and i mean so kyle weird.
1: Seeger's uh, kyle Seeger's wife came out and was like i guess we need to put our house on the market after yeah. this whole fiasco yeah
0: yeah and so it's like okay that's it's like on the face of that like first it's like okay that's weird nothing really like to, I mean it's controversial I mean like in, in the world of sports and everything like that but it gets into this other sort of realm where that really where it really starts to take issue right it's he starts saying like pretty much bragging that he gets a low ball all these players and that pretty much just does, doesn't give a damn if they win or lose on the field it's like I don't care I don't care if the fans will still show up. Just give me the money. That's the that's what matters.
1: Yeah, you know what I find interesting is, and this is really kind of a Seattle-specific conversation. So, yeah, you know, for our fans in Sweden, uh, <laughs> sorry, but um, we're like almost live, right? <laughs> I was I, I was really taken back by the fact that we don't have a fan base in seattle anymore because seattle has sucked for so long 20 years and yet and yet he's so proud of how cheap he is but i think more more to the point of our conversation is how how flippant he was about fucking over players especially young players who haven't been called up yet uh and and how they can impact uh their clock which i you know i don't understand all of this but my understanding is that you know there's rules to how much a player gets paid their first three years and then how arbitration works for the the second three years so those first six years are really in the league's favor or in the owner's favor uh and then it goes to where it's a player gets more control. And so he's basically saying, well, we're just gonna hold people out as long as possible so we don't start the clock um, so that we can get them for as cheap as possible, as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And it is just really disgusting in the end. Um, I I think it what what it brought to my mind was honestly, um, how do we get rid of owners Uh, in professional sports and how, how do you uh, create some kind of um, management uh, process within a clubhouse that is actually controlled by the players? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately we show up to games. We watch Mm -hmm. games Mm -hmm. for the players. It's the players that produce the product. Mm Getting back to our Marxist conversation, right? The the players' labor is what matters here, uh, and we need to we need to cut out the the ownership. No white guy uh, that can't fucking throw a twenty mile an hour fastball, or you know, make it to the rim, uh, or throw a spiral should be controlling. The salaries of a predominantly, uh, predominantly, black or other uh, racial minority league, right? Like, and and that for me, that's part of this is is the racial element. But really, uh, it also shows that that the owners are are dicks, right? They're capitalists, and they're going to screw over the labor. The laborer is the athlete.
0: And it's time for athletes just to say, you know what? No. And really even the consumer, because guess what? Just like, yep. just like, like Amazon, just like, you know, all these other corporations, well, they're still going to consume it. It doesn't matter what I, what I put out there. <laughs> they're still going to consume it. Yeah. So there's that element as well. And yes, you're absolutely right. It'd be, it'd be incredible to see the players, you know, have a stronger voice in in the say of the club and and the fans having a alliance like the sounders do they have an alliance membership um where the fan is made up of fans but it'd be cool to see that of players as well um you're absolutely right and then then yes and then he gets into these kind of these really pretty bigoted comments about you know with iokuma and kind of um what was i forgot there was some prospect he's just kind of just mixed yeah, up.
1: a young Latino kid. Yeah, he's talking about he he doesn't speak great English. Yeah, like, shut shut the fuck up. Yeah.
0: And it's like he's saying this to these. You could see his face. And he's talking to these members of the Rotary Club, and he's like, "See, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, it's like this." Weak yeah. Nod
1: and well, and Rotary clubs are famously <laughs> white, older, white, male, older white male mm-hmm. right uh i mean that that's that's who makes up the leadership uh and the membership of most rotary clubs uh, seattle rotary club is actually pretty famous for being super progressive though mm. um where rotary as a whole uh does not have uh, i mean it's not the most conservative of the fraternities out there if you will uh like Kawanas and some of the others um but it it's still really surprising that you would show up especially to the seattle rotary club and think that this is what they want to hear Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. uh, i'm sure some people were loving the gossip that was coming out you know who likes who and who doesn't like who and you know who was pushing who into a locker etc i'm sure a lot of that was pretty entertaining but to, to go into a famously progressive club and start talking about who speaks good English. Yeah. Um, not that that's even good English. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, it really was just dumbfounding. And on top of that, your club has sucked for decades. Like right. you are the worst team that, in the league right? and you're going to go and talk about how cheap yes. you are. Like, congratulations.
0: Exactly. And that's the thing as well. Among fans, we have always kind of spec that's always been around the fan circle. Cause I've been a fan most of my life, God forbid. Um, but it, it's always been that sort of thought like, God, do they even really care? I mean, like 20 years, this is just ridiculous. And even, even when it was 10 years, it's like, this is just ridiculous that they, they cannot put a competitive product on the field, not to get too much into sports, but then then here's kevin mather boom right out there hey look everybody you were right all along you're right as long as you still keep coming to the games i get money i get paid who gives a damn well and you know one of the things
1: that just blew me away in this is i've said for years that the contract that we got with root sports the Mariners got yeah. with Roots Sports, um, was one of the richest in the league um, and and pretty much the richest for the size market that we were in. And he commented on that. Mm-hmm. And I really think that, that that in and of itself pushes him to even care less about winning oh, yeah. or losing because you know you get that money guaranteed if you lose people aren't going to show up and and you and i know that you can get a five dollar ticket most days to sit in the bleachers if you're willing to pay same day prices right like yeah. maybe not but, fine, still, still but $15 pay, you know? yeah you're a $15 still. ticket uh
0: still.
1: because still. nobody yeah nobody's in the damn park because they lose all the damn time nobody cares but he doesn't care because they're making their money off of that root sports deal that's
0: exactly where it is
1: now he may have really screwed the organization uh in the future with that deal um but I, i think that that plays into it is they they don't care about who's in that stadium anymore that that is not where money comes from in the league um
0: and and so and the thing is, well, the, the, the thing is that people, when they do show up, it, it's people still spend money there, right? It's it's not like you're well, gonna, yeah. not going to show up and buy a beer or or a hot dog or whatever. People are still, there's still, there's still that value in it. That's why it's so overpriced because yeah, there's less people coming in, but they're still coming and they're still going to buy concessions and merchandise. And, oh
1: yeah. No, and there's market- still money in the, in the stadium for sure, but they don't, yeah they're not that's not where they're making the majority of their money and there's people like you and i who are gonna who are gonna show up at least a few times a year yeah because it's about the experience right it's about being at the ballpark it's about um hearing the crack of the bat it's yeah it's all of that kind of stuff that because baseball is definitely not at the top of my list Uh, but baseball is a great social sport uh and And of all of the, of all of the sports, it gives you the most opportunity to actually interact with the people that you go to a game with. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think there's a real value in baseball for that. And I I think especially being in the park and it being live that that's where the value is for me, you know, getting, getting to go uh, opening day with, my nephews or spending my dad's birthday or whatever it might be yeah uh, those kind of things are are special yeah and, and really enjoyable so
0: yeah it is about the game that is true and you know um even if they do market to other clubs like the red sox or the blue jays or the yankees it's still even cool to go to those games of course too um and you know, see the potential world champions because it's not going to be the Mariners. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think I think there's more
1: recognition from from everyday Americans in terms of uh, just how wrong some of some of these systems are. Right. But even the NCAA is mm-hmm. is is having to reckon with the slave labor that they've mm-hmm. built a multi billion dollar industry off of Um, and and at some point people are going to recognize that no matter how many college degrees you hand out the billions of dollars that these um, universities are making off the backs of young people of color primarily right um, paying them shit literally well you're not paying them at all you're giving them a scholarship and maybe some room and board Uh, no like no that sounds a lot like oh fucking slavery that's what it sounds like um so it's just unreal to me uh these systems and uh, we just we need to start addressing it
0: yep and it just kind of that reverberation of it's all these these systems that have failed are are the people from the government, to healthcare, to uh, to other facets of our institutions have failed us. And that goes for sports. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's transition to our main topic of the evening, Um, the coronavirus after the pandemic. Um, And I prefaced this kind of in the beginning Variants versus vaccines, that sort of thing. Um, so yes, we have these new variants, and it's this race against time to get as much people vaccinated. Uh, Johnson and Johnson came out, came were approved today uh, to with their single, single dose uh, vaccination, which is that's that's gigantic. We always hear this term, or we always hear this question: When will things get back to normal? never yeah so and that's why I, I enter this with that question right so that's why i kind of maybe have maybe it's a silly question to ask but this is what i have to ask with with this sort of topic what what is normal what was life like pre-pandemic
1: and i don't i don't even remember like do you remember? <laughs> Like I mean, that's yeah. It's it's an honest comment, but
0: yeah, no, yeah. I
1: I really I really think that that's what people are trying to reference. And will will life get back to kind of a rhythm and cadence that we were used to? Of course, right. People are gonna get back onto public transit, and we're gonna go back to restaurants, and we're gonna go back to sporting events. We're gonna do those things. However, I, I think there's a, a really good likelihood that you know during flu season when you're on public transit, people are gonna be wearing masks, right? And
0: and you this is something wonder, that yeah. Well, you gotta wonder if even it becomes a requirement in some places too during the flu season.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. So I I think that there there are things that have changed that that i really believe will change for a long time my guess is that it will take years for most people uh to stand right behind you in line right Mm -hmm. maybe it won't be six feet but my guess is you're talking three or four feet now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um in terms of a, a comfort distance between people so i think i think those things um will linger and you know over time maybe we'll get closer and closer to strangers again yeah i i also think that our work life will never be the same yeah i agree with that's i think that's the big one yeah work life is just never going to be the same which then that brings up some really big questions in my mind of you know what does a downtown core look like for a major city when the, the industries that are going to be impacted the most, uh, in terms of working from home forever now are, are those industries that have tended to really have, uh, major footprints in, uh, urban downtown mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. So
0: I, I think that's a, a question of what does that look like in the future? Right. Well, and then expanding on that point is, so if that, if that, if there's no more of that, then a lot of those restaurants downtown um, or in downtown quarters um, relied on the happy hour. They relied on, on dinner after, after work drinks, that sort of thing, lunch. Right. So not only when you take the, (laughs) the people that are now working at home from those, from the downtown quarters, those restaurants are not going to be able to survive. Like maybe the ones near the stadium, like, you know, we, we kind of talked about before, like fuel, you know seattle references sorry fuel or like you know the central tavern or whatever they they will they will return right because people will start to go back to the stadiums but those ones yeah up near you know up near the downtown area the financial districts of downtowns that's gone
1: can we start to repurpose some of this space and yeah. can that be turned into uh, low to moderate income housing, multi purpose, uh, space. So there's, you know, there's some housing in some of those locations that have all been offices now, uh, maybe still a few office spaces, but maybe they're the shared type office space where, you know, you're going in for a day or two a week, or you can just drop in if you're meeting somebody, those kind of things. Um, so that shared space and that potentially, you know, if, if those kinds of of shifts happen, uh, that could potentially allow for uh, restaurants to still survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have to change kind of who they're
0: focused on and those kind of things. But it, maybe they expand more into uh, what which, which I've seen is food trucks. Maybe that that's another way for these rest, like you're saying, is maybe there's a still a way for them to survive. With shared spaces, but also incorporating food trucks. Then, yeah, I know they're not that cheap, but I'm sure that um, some may be willing to put up the investment for that. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it it is an it to me. It's a really
1: interesting um, discussion because I've always loved downtowns, right? Like, and and not just Seattle. I I mean, I I love to be and uh, the heart of any city it, mm-hmm. it just has such a unique feel to it and and I really see that this pandemic and, and not just the pandemic because some of these things were happening prior to the pandemic in terms of um, retail space especially dying and and that was impacting downtown cores because a, a lot of flagship stores were were in downtown cores as well. And so, with the death of retail, um, and now, kind of the 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 death of office space, mm-hmm. if you will, or at least the death of cubicle life. Um, because that's really who's impacted by this, right? You now don't have to live in a cubicle. You can just go into your uh, home office and mm-hmm. do the same work you were doing from your cube, and people are happy and content with that. Yeah. And so, with the death of those two things, uh, downtowns are going to have to reimagine themselves. And and we, individuals who love that downtown feel, the vibrancy of it, the culture that's created. You know, the the art um, that thrives in kind of the, the late night spaces, if you will. How how do we support that and, mm-hmm. and grow community around those things
0: when there's not yeah. well repurposing yeah. of roads, right? Like kind of like Vancouver has done, Vancouver, BC, where they, they some of their where I think it's a stretch of their downtown um, street is no cars um i th- believe it is buses though but still um you're get- hitting on that point where we could repurpose some of these roads into into you know i don't know gardens and parks and that sort of thing and that's that's of course that's a, a very long process but yeah absolutely you hit on that point there for sure
1: yeah that for me that that's definitely one of the most interesting parts of of what normal looks like moving forward and it you know, normal it doesn't exist ever, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what what life looks like, uh, I will be very interested in that. I, I think yeah. there's there's also questions around equity um, and mm-hmm. the the fact that so many individuals who were already doing fairly well, right. Um, are the people that weren't really impacted financially through uh, the the pandemic? It it really was individuals who were in the working poor that were most affected by this, and so we've now we already had this huge, not just huge, just massive wage gap, right, or wealth gap in this country, and, and that is only going to to expand over the next few years as we recover from the pandemic and so how how do we really look at equity and how do we start to address those issues when the economy is not naturally going to solve that problem you know individuals like me i got wealthier through this period of time i did i did not become less wealthy during the pandemic. I was able to maintain a full-time job. Uh, my partner was furloughed for one day a week for one month, otherwise maintained uh, full-time work. We got stimulus cash during this process, right? So we we made more during the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, than in years previous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that that wealth gap I think is a a huge issue uh, that's going to have to be really addressed. And it's, uh, to me, I I think that will have a lasting impact that if we're, we're not focused on it and I don't hear people talking about what are we going to do? Not just with this, you know, package that they want to push through right now in Congress, but what are we going to do long-term to ensure that we're addressing that uh, equity issue moving forward and, and that's something that's only been exacerbated through this process
0: oh yeah yeah definitely so especially with the frontline workers uh uh these you know pe- the people that are on the front lines and I'm, I'm talking like grocery stores and 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 retail they have to go into work they won't survive if they don't go into work And there they are being exposed to coronavirus or what have you virus. (laughs) Um, And and so that's, I think that's another part of that uh, equal that wage inequality, too, is that we said, oh, well, thank you. Thank you, key workers and essential workers. You're amazing. $15 an hour minimum wage. Yeah, right. You know, in the same freaking breath, basically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, in some stores, when, when uh, cities started saying you will pay mm-hmm. uh, additional dollars during this time for hazard pay, uh, there are stores that just said, no, we won't because we're just going to yep. close down. You know, I, they're claiming that it's because they can't afford it. And $4 an hour, when you're talking about hundreds of hours – it definitely adds up mm-hmm. uh, but we know that where maybe individual stores are struggling overall the grocery industry Kroger and other large grocery retailers have made billions of dollars during this time yeah. uh, and to, and again you know this comes back to kind of the conversation we were having with ownership Uh, and sports leagues uh, at, at some point, when are, when are we going to say that no owners, you don't deserve all of that. The labor and the risk is being taken by the people that are actually doing the work. And that's where that money belongs. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead
0: they just shut them down so they don't have to pay it, uh, which is pretty sickening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's really no surprise of course i mean all the things we talk about on the show really addresses all of that i mean they've done this stuff in the past as well when when workers have um you know tried to organize for their rights and and with a new collective bargaining agreement they've done some pretty tricky things in order to uh get around those agreements and Mm -hmm. and you know cut staff and all that all that stuff it's it's no surprise it's sad it's just no surprise um and and not to mention like grocery store retail workers not only is it that job pretty freaking stressful to deal with the freaking public all day long outside of a pandemic you add this stress on to people that's emotional stress that is physical stress and it's going to cause, I think, you know, some physical ailments, of course, um, over time. And then, of course, mental. There's going to be some mental repercussions with a lot of uh, frontline workers. Not to mention there's the issue of poverty, right? That, that can cause more mental health conditions. Yeah. So I think that's another thing that we look at going forward is the, the mental health issues that will be that we're going to uh, face or are facing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're, we're facing it now, right? We've, we've seen, (laughs) we've seen almost a 40% increase in overdose deaths Mm -hmm. uh, in the last year. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's any way that you can say that that number is not somewhat attributable to uh, depression, anxiety, anxiety, that come from
0: isolation uh, and are a awesome. direct result of yeah. a pandemic exactly yeah yeah and 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 suicide rates as well it, it's that it's kind of that whole string of it all strings together right you know um hmm. so yeah i mean and then we've seen uh, a rise in uh domestic violence uh like you said um uh, Depression, anxiety, um, and there's going to be yeah, there's going to be trauma from from those instances of domestic violence. There's going to be trauma inflicted in other issues as well. So not only are we going to be having you know like we were saying, um, uh, you know, drug drug issues, but we'll have uh, PTSD on top of that as well. Reality.
1: <laughs> it is the reality of of kind of the long. Term effects of of what we're going to deal with and i i think there is opportunity that comes from this as well though and you know i i i don't want us to to talk about kind of what life is like post-pandemic without talking about you know lessons learned Mm -hmm. from the pandemic and
0: absolutely i was on my list here
1: (laughs) you know i i think one of the things that that many of us probably recognize is the the impact that we've had on the environment um over the last century or more uh has been really pervasive and especially early in the pandemic, but throughout the pandemic, we have seen the impact of reducing our footprint on the world uh, and how that has improved uh, conditions for wildlife and in in many places in the world during this time period. And and I think that, you know, remembering that, remembering that uh, if, if we reduce how much we're traveling, if we reduce uh, how much shipping uh, and those kind of things we're doing, we we really can have a positive impact mm-hmm. on our world, and, and that that and our world heals itself actually pretty quickly, um, and that that's really hopeful in terms of the work that we have to do. Mm. uh Related to, to global climate change, so I think that's a lesson we can take out of this that, that's really meaningful. Mm. I think another one is just how important relationships really
0: are. Oh God, right, yeah. I, and a hug, so. a hug, a freaking hug from yeah. somebody you haven't seen in so long, right? Not
1: you know, early on, I would have totally agreed with you that you know, you know, giving people I really care about a hug is missed but just physical contact even a handshake, a handshake. would be so great fist at bump. this point right this bump yeah you know i still give an elbow and a <laughs> but fist an bump elbow every i don't know i feel like though is to like actually really feel ugh. like i've locked in with somebody right like palm to palm is going to probably That's feel true. a little more sensual than i want it to the first time it happens <laughs> right here we are
0: talking about sensual handshakes.
1: Well, I mean, I'm just saying
0: that it <laughs> is that true. First,
1: that first time we get back to it, it's probably going to feel we, so good that I can't help but be like, oh my God.
0: If we ever do get back to that, though, at the same time, right. what if we, yeah, like it, there's that, like, shit, like, <laughs> you know, that's always in the back of your head. Just like when we return to sporting events, it's like, oh my God, I'm standing in the cro- a crowd of freaking people right now slammed into this concourse right yeah. so yeah i mean like it, it, it'll it'll take time of course i mean that's but yeah you're right man like just just as simple as a handshake
1: <laughs> yeah um yeah and i think i think that yeah, is something that yeah. we we have to uh, we have to to maintain um that awareness mm-hmm. and, and i know for me I'm almost a year past seeing some of my family members mm-hmm. um and and the family members i, I have seen uh, a lot of times have been in my garage right yeah. so that i can with, so i can yeah. be undercover but but right. still at least get to spend time with them in an outdoor setting so i mean um
0: well yeah those yeah, kind of things yeah yeah and it's like yeah it's like the family you see that you were used to seeing so much and it's like it, it, it you you get scared like that that this is becoming routine it's just like it just feels like you're never going to be able to see them again because this just the way life is and like you said it's hard to imagine what things were like before and then you just there's that anxiety as well of like what if i never see them again what if you know and and it goes to with with friends like you know what if we never get to you know hang out watch the sea wolves win and sharing a moment together some you know at a, at a pub you know what if we never never get that again with some people and that just i think that 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 plays on personally on my psyche and i'm sure it does for yeah for a lot of other lot people, of people i think it does
1: mm-hmm. yeah my my 97 year old grandmother mm. uh just uh, just beat coronavirus um, oh, wow. But I mean that—that's a really touch and go emotional time, right? To to know that she was was fighting that, she wasn't communicating well during that time period either. So that you know, it enhanced fear and anxiety. Um, yeah. So I mean, just being able to go and see her uh, after kind of having this fear of, um, you know, that that's a really high risk lady, um, that just made it through. So I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for those kind of things, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we, we need to, we need to make sure and, and recognize the value of our relationships and, and not take those things for granted anymore.
0: And, and I really hope that we don't as a society, because it just, I just get the, the other worry that I have is that we, we will take it for granted. Right. And we just won't learn those lessons. Of course, that, that always, <laughs> that always plays on my mind, but who knows me, you know, I, I think we will know in the end, right. I fear that we won't, but I think, you know, I hope that we, that we will, because I think that when that returns, when you're able to see, see people again, um, th- those, those first initial moments are going to mean, mean a lot those first initial moments will you'll never forget those i think when you see those people again and yeah yeah the other
1: thing i want to put out there that i that i really hope is something post-pandemic that that does not kind of wither on the vine is uh remembering that black lives matter Mm. and i i think you know, we had a, a summer of protests, if you will, or a summer of reckoning uh, after the murder of George Floyd, and things are quieter. But I think that, given the pandemic, the the topic of race has has stayed in a lot of people's at least peripheral, yeah. and. Uh, and, you know, there's been a lot of issues since George Floyd, mm-hmm. uh, and including a, a racially motivated uh, coup attempt on the United States government. But I think I think the pandemic lends itself to people being connected more mm-hmm. uh, to what's happening in society, because we're not as distracted by what's going on in our own lives, right? We're not as distracted by going to a Seawolves game or going to a pub or or doing those things that distract us from seeing what impact the world is having on others. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and I hope that we are able to maintain focus as we come out of and start getting to live fuller, richer Mm -hmm. lives, Um, that we don't allow that to create a veil yep. that that clouds the vision
0: of racial inequality in this country right. and and takes away the focus right and, and on top of that too is during those initial protests and, and, and actions um, in, in the summer um, in June I want to say May June yeah um, right around George Floyd was uh, people coming out and saying you know this is this is worth the risk fighting for this fighting against these injustices it is worth the risk and that signaled to a lot of people i think i think that was so powerful in its own as well and and then it signals going forward even after the coronavirus era that it's always worth the risk it will always be worth the risk to fight against injustice yeah yeah so and another thing i hope continues i know maybe it's a Again, another sports thing, but it actually ties into this. Is that I hope that um, in soccer, in the Premier League, and, and in MLS, they take a knee before every single game. Mm. You know, and it's recognized. Um, so I hope that continues as fans start to return to the stadium. Give us that reminder, right? That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, looking to the past uh, the last time we had a sort of pandemic of this scale in 1918 influenza pandemic um, what changed after that right I think that's important to look back in the context of with history is what changed in society after that and one thing I've, I've kind of researched on um, one of the big ones was the healthcare system changed healthcare system change. I can't, I don't can't bring up specific stats on it, but there's a reformation in that with how hospitals um, operate and how people are treated. So hopefully that uh, will uh, be a true thing for us here too.
1: Yeah, I have to believe that there's a day of reckoning coming for the uh, United States healthcare system and once again it's a system of greed a system that is based on the the wealthy getting wealthier and the poor uh, continuing to be poor and dying Um, Mm -hmm. and somehow we accept that and somehow we think uh, that taking care of each other shows weakness I, I i just don't even know where this comes from or what argument you can make um that it really is uh, sad to me and i just you know I, I hope that that reckoning is coming and i hope it's soon yeah
0: yeah hope for the best hope for the best and I, I think there, there is, there is hope. There is. As long as we are the ones, as long as we are alive on this earth, we, we can uh, be the change we wish to see in this world. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I am, I'm not always one. Um, well, I'm rarely one to pull out the, the Bible, but um, <laughs> I think when it comes to healthcare in this country, we, we have to, we have to start taking care of each other and really looking at um, the impact that that has on us as a community. And the, the best lesson in the Bible, in my mind, I, I get that many people have many verses that they go to, but uh, for me, uh, it's it's in Matthew, and I I don't remember the actual like chapter because I'm not that far into the Bible, but um, it is it is the story where uh, Jesus talks about what you've done to the least of these you've done to me, mm-hmm. um, and he talks about you know when I was hungry you fed me when I was um, when I was poor you you gave me shelter. Uh, when I was in jail, you visited me, like all of these things, what you've done to the least of these you've done to me. And, and I think that this is a lesson that, uh, we as a society can take. And, uh, especially those who identify as Christian or individuals like me who would identify as a secular Christian, mm-hmm. uh, who grew up with these lessons, this, this is what Jesus was teaching us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, if Christ was, was literally godly or just a, a really cool activist, doesn't matter. Um, what he was saying is let's take care of each other. And when it comes to our healthcare system, like let's put a little Christ in it, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, evangelicals, please step up and, and like walk the walk, uh, in this situation and start taking care of the least among us. Stop using
0: the Bible as a weapon. Yeah. Amen. Well, shall we wrap up, wrap down? All right. Well, that was, uh, that was a heavy episode. That was that was a very, that was a heavy topic that we covered. Um, but I think it was super important that we covered it in the way we did, uh, today. And I hope that, uh, you out there listening, uh, you know, start, you know, thinking about those things. I encourage you to start thinking about those things that maybe, uh, you took for granted before this and, you know, hold those things dear and, and, um, don't let go of them and be in these moments, be in the moment, even if the world is like this for however much longer, you know, still find some, some joy in your life because there is, you know, you are special and you are on this world in this world and you are contributing something. So that's my little two cents at the end here. Anything from you, Sean?
1: (laughs) No, I think that's really well said, Levon, that, you know, we all contribute, um, and to to devalue any any human when we don't don't have the full story is always sad to me. Though if we can if we can approach each other as as just that human, uh, I think we'll we'll go go a long ways with that.
0: Yeah. Well, for the for Trucal Up politics, this has been Levon and Sean. We hope you enjoyed and join us next time. You all stay brilliant out there. Good night.